When I think about what it means to be a mother, a wave of emotion comes over me. I'm filled with love, joy, happiness, and fulfillment. But there are times when I wonder, am I doing this right? And am I really the best mom for my child? I question everything, and I don't give myself enough grace. But I truly believe we are not given what we are not equipped to handle. As is the case with my first guest, Savannah Beal, a mom, a singer-songwriter, and a founder of a nonprofit organization. Savannah's motherhood journey is unique. The mom of two boys, one born with a rare genetic mutation that has made Savannah an active advocate for children with disabilities. With a heart of gold and a voice of an angel, Savannah is here to share her story and journey through motherhood. This is We Need to Talk Motherhood, part one. Savannah Beal, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I just realized it's it's almost going to be 20 years, I think. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did I just ruin your day? Kind of. <laughs> I mean, like 16 years. It, that's crazy, though. I know. I was trying to think when I first met you. I don't know. Was it in... Bel- Did we meet in Belcanto or was it in UCO? Did you go to Romania? No, okay. I didn't. Then we met in But UCO. I was in Belcanto that year. Oh, really? I just didn't go to... I think so. Then we met then. <laughs> we must have. <laughs> Regardless, it's been a long time. And, and I'm glad that we have stayed friends. And I've loved seeing you grow and becoming a mom, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, but you have such an inspiring story. And I'm really glad that you want to share it and you're willing to share it with people. You're a mother of two. You are a business owner. You're an artist. You're a wife. You do everything. And your story is one that I know will be very comforting to a lot of moms um, that are listening that may be in a similar situation but also just to bring awareness to something that I know is very dear to your heart. But first, I want to backtrack a little bit. And when you were deciding to, you and your husband, to have kids and add to your family, how did you know that you were ready to be a mom? Well, I always wanted to be a mom. And like my goal in life was to be able to stay at home with my kids. Um, I always had, you know, aspirations. um, But I always knew that like, I wanted to accomplish them before I had kids um, because I knew that once I did, I didn't want to, uh, I wanted my kids to be first and all of those other things to um, come after that. So there was definitely like a sense of accomplishment in different aspects of my life, in my music, um, in my, with my nonprofit organization. And then also just in my marriage, um, my husband and I had a really, tough first two years of marriage. And it was like everything that could possibly happen (laughs) in a marriage, like a lifetime span happened in like the first year. Um, and so kind of after that, like working through all of those things, um, and also like through therapy for myself, therapy with my husband and just like really, cause I feel like we really changed as people during that time. Um, And so once we kind of got grounded and got our marriage in a really, really good place, um, then we knew that we were ready. I love that because I think going into parenting and I'm just, you know, speaking from my experience now being a newer mom, you know, my daughter's now 18 months, but you really want to make sure that you're also whole. 
because you're taking care of a whole other person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you're not in a good position, there's no way that you can provide for another person. So I love that you guys realized and wanted to get to a good place before you added to your family. So what was your motherhood experience like with your first son, who's now how old? He's six. He's He's, six. Oh my gosh, that time went by so fast. (laughs) He turned six in July and he just started first grade. So what has that, what has that experience been like having a six year old before we get to your second son? Um, well, I like thoroughly enjoyed being pregnant. Um, I had like a pretty easy pregnancy is how I Mm -hmm. remember it. Like when I talk to my family members though, they're like, you were miserable and you were sick the entire time, but I don't remember. You don't remember that. I don't. Um, and I loved like my experience delivering my son. Like I had, mm-hmm. I, I like love, I don't know. I loved it with both. Actually. I had a great experience delivering them. Um, I know like you hear a lot of like horror stories about, um, giving birth and like going into labor. And that was not my experience at all. I loved it. And I'm like, when I think about having more kids, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm done, but, um, like I miss that whole miss experience. The experience. Yeah. 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 It really is a beautiful thing. And that's funny because I was telling my husband that oh, I was like, Oh, I miss, you know, this, or I miss breastfeeding. He was like, you hated all of that. I know. And I was like, well, it wasn't that bad. He was like, you hated hated it though. So I think that we, we, it's, it's, I think that's a common thing with a lot of mothers that we go through you forget. it. We're miserable. We complain, we forget. And then we're like, Oh, but this and people are like, no, no, no. Cause we had to be on the receiving end. But I think we're wired that way for a reason, because if we truly remembered how awful it was, we would never have more kids. Yeah. We would only have one child. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So now your second son, he was born with a rare genetic mutation and you've been very vocal about that. And I would love for you to just share what that journey was like from when you discovered it to giving birth and now being going through therapy to help him have the best quality of life possible. Yeah. So I had a totally normal pregnancy with Remy. Um, I'm fortunate enough that my insurance covered all of the genetic testing while I was pregnant, um, just because it did. And so I did all of that. I did that with my first son as well. Nothing came up. There were like random things that came up in me that I didn't pass on. So it didn't matter, but, um, totally healthy. He was big. He was measuring big. Um, so I ended up being, uh, induced a week early and he was almost 10 pounds a week early he was a big baby. Um, but like my delivery was totally smooth. I was like induced in the morning and had him that evening. So it was, you know, it was pretty easy. Um, and yeah, was told he was, you know, perfectly healthy. Um, took him to the pediatrician. Everything was good. The only thing that they kind of noticed was that his head was big. Um, and I actually knew that when I was pregnant, but my doctors would kind of like make jokes about it. It was never something that was concerning. It was just like, Oh, he's got a big head, like not a big deal. Um, and so as time went on, I think around three months, my pediatrician, um, you know, they measured the head, their head, they measured different body parts and stuff. Um, at around three months, I think it was our pediatrician was concerned about, um, the, 
the rate at which it was growing, it had jumped mm. in size um, in a short amount of time, and it had jumped like more than what was normal. And so at that point, he was just like, let's monitor it and see what happens. And it continued to jump rapidly. And so they wanted us to do um, an ultrasound. And with babies that young, they basically just like do an ultrasound like they do on your belly when you're pregnant, but they do it on their head. And what they were looking for was um, extra fluid because a common thing with um, rapid growth like that is hydrocephalus. He didn't have any symptoms of it besides that. Like usually babies will be lethargic or, you know, will have delays or just like not, um, they have other symptoms and he didn't have any other symptoms. So my husband and I went into it and we're just like, this is ridiculous. Like he's totally fine. He's like a perfectly healthy baby. Like he's going to be fine. Um, they didn't find anything. They found like a little bit of extra fluid, but it wasn't enough to diagnose it. Be alarming in any way. Yeah, or to do anything. And if they yeah. do find it, you, usually they put like a shunt in um, to drain the fluid. And so they continued right. to monitor it. And then I think around six months, it did keep growing. Um, they wanted to do an MRI um, just to see if there was anything structurally going on. And so we did that and it was terrifying because with babies, um, they have to be sedated, like put under full Mm -hmm. anesthesia and, you know, like you don't get to go in there with them. Um, it just is really scary. Especially because they're so young. I mean, six months, I can only imagine like being detached. You're still going through postpartum, like being away from them knowing that. Yeah. Yeah. Still nursing all of that. There's so many factors that come into play. So I can only imagine how you were feeling. Yeah. It was scary. Um, So they did the MRI and basically what they found was that his brain was like all of the parts of his brain were big. Um, and they could see that if it kept growing, that that could be a problem. But at the current time, there wasn't a pro there was nothing to do about it. It was just, that's how it was. Um, the ventricles were a little bit large, different parts of his brain were bigger, but, um, there wasn't anything to do with it at that time. And so that's when they, suggested that we do genetic testing to find a reason as to why his brain was like that. And so at this point, when we started genetic testing, he was almost a year old. Everything just like takes a long time. A really long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so once we did the testing, they did genetic testing on me and my husband and Remy. And um, which... It's kind of cool because they tell you if you have anything that's preventable. So like the breast cancer gene or something like that. If I had that, that would come up and they would tell, you know, they tell you all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And that took about, man, four months to get the results. So, so I'm going to, I have a question. So from the six months up until getting the results, how much growth had Remy's brain had and and had like circumference? Because you measure... You had six months and then the year mark. So how much had what growth was there from that point? Um, I mean, multiple inches. I don't know exactly, mm. but let's say, I want to say his head was like 14 inches when he was born. And it's now like, they do everything in centimeters. So yeah, now it's like 23 inches. Okay. So okay. that's a lot for it to grow. Yeah. Usually they grow yeah. just like a few inches in the first three years. Um, yeah. So we got the results, um, you know, after months of waiting and the waiting is always the hardest part because of course, 
basically in that time, what our neurosurgeon told us was that, you know, even though we don't have answers, there are things that you need to look for in a brain that's growing this fast. And what can happen is essentially the brain can start to outgrow the skull. And when that happens, mm -hmm. the brain can push down on the top of the spinal cord. And if that happens, they could die instantly. So mm -hmm. we didn't have answers. We didn't have a diagnosis, but we knew that sudden death was like, could happen. Um, and was like a side effect of this overgrowth. Which, how do you navigate your day-to-day -day knowing that that is a possibility? It was really hard. I mean, it was, I felt like, and I think a lot of things in my life added to this too, partly just living in Los Angeles and the fact that <laughs> if there was an emergency, knowing that I couldn't get where I needed to go in a timely fashion because of traffic and because of where I lived. Because at mm. that point it was like, if Remy spikes a fever, if he starts to get lethargic, he goes straight to Cedars, you know? So, um, it was like, and knowing that, that I had a short amount of time to get there or that he could possibly die. It was like, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get there from the Valley. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. so that added a lot of stress. Um, I don't know. I just felt like I lived in a constant state of panic, but at the same time mm -hmm. I had Wade and fortunately, like we have a lot of, you know, my whole family's in LA or orange County. So our family was around us and super helpful. Um, you know, my church at the time knew what was going on and they offered a lot of support and I felt, we felt supported. And I think that that's probably what got us through. Yeah. Um, yeah. because it was, yeah, it was really hard and every little thing was just like, is it like what's happening, you know? And, right, and anytime, like, even if he just got sick, like I remember the first time he was admitted to the hospital, he was throwing up and they took him straight into the ICU and he just had, you know, he was just sick. Like there was nothing wrong. He was just sick, but like he wasn't allowed that it was any, any time yeah. he had to be monitored or, um, ended up having to get another MRI or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was really, it was I really traumatizing. I, yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine that. So then you get your results and, and what are, what is shared with you? Yeah. So we get the results and we meet with a geneticist. We were referred to one, couldn't get in with him. And so they're like, but you can see this other one. And it was at Cedars too. And I'm so fortunate that it worked out that way because he was doing research on the mutation that Remy ended up having. And so he told mm. us that we had, that he had, um, the, the mutation is called an AKT3 and, um, the disease that they diagnosed him with is called megalencephalic polydactyl polymicrogyria hydrocephalus syndrome. And those are essentially like the four major symptoms that come along with this. Um, and I just remember sitting there being like, asking these questions like, well, first of all, is it terminal? Is how long is he going to live? Like, what is his quality of life going to be like? Is he going to walk? Is he going to talk? And every single answer was, I can't answer that for you. Mm. Every single one. Like there was no, we had, I just remember leaving and being like, we have zero answers except that like he could be fine, but we just don't like, we don't we know. Just don't know. And it turns out that there were less than 60 cases of this um, disease in the world. And so they just really had no answers. And it, just because of the way that, well, genetic testing is so new, 
um, yeah. and the way that it's constantly changing. They had only discovered this mutation like not that long ago. So they just didn't even have the research to really answer any of those questions. They didn't have um, patients that were really old enough to tell, to give us like a prognosis or a lifespan because they were all young, you know, yeah. so they just didn't really know. Um, so I just remember leaving and being like, this is insane. Like they didn't tell us anything except that we have to, you know, have an MRI every six months and bring him back if something bad happens. But fortunately, like I said, the geneticist was doing research on this mutation and also our neurosurgeon, um, he was incredible too. And he was like, one of the leading researchers with this mutation and other ones like it. And he also, he was like one of the first doctors to do brain surgery on a baby in utero. Like he was mm. incredible. So we at least knew that if something did happen, we were in like the best hands, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. Yeah. So cut to now. So now he's three. He's three years old. Yeah. And so what have the last three years looked like for you as a family? Um, we've really just been navigating and like dealing with the real, the reality of who our child is. Um, mm. I remember when we got his diagnosis, like it didn't register or really click that I was like, we have a child who's disabled. Like that's a reality of the situation. Like we're going to be navigating, you know, this life the special education system, um, forever. And mm -hmm. that I kind of think was an answer that I wanted early on that no one would give me, for Sure, you know, for sure. I wanted yeah. them to say like, is he going to recover from this and be typical as in this world we call kids without disabilities or yeah. is he going to be disabled? Like, is this what his life is? Yeah. And that was something that we had to just kind of figure out on our own. And I think doctors, they just don't want to answer that because I think that they're trying to preserve your emotions. But also I just think that they, like, there could be any outcome. And so they don't want to give you an answer. Because, right. Right. Like, just because it's ha it's been this way for so many kids doesn't mean it's going to be this way for you. It's going to be that way for him. You yeah. Know? So it's course. just really hard to get answers. And so I think once yeah. we accepted that and I realized that um right after we got his diagnosis, I tried to get him in cuz he he was one. He didn't start walking until he was I mean crawling until he was 11 months old. He wasn't walking, he wasn't talking at all. Um and so we knew that he, there were some delays happening, which we didn't sure. know up until like seven months old. Cause he seemed mm. pretty typical. Um, and so, um, I had to figure out, and I just remember like when Wade was a baby, I was in a mommy and me class and my teacher was like, you know, intervention, early intervention in the state of California is free until they're three. So if there's anything that you see that you want to get evaluated, like anything, just do it before they're three. And so mm. I just like looked into the early intervention system and tried to enroll him. And that in itself took, took six months to get a phone call, like a returned phone call from mm. the state. It was insane. And I called all the time like all the time, just like trying to get an answer, um, to get him evaluated in, in the system. Yeah. 
because you yeah. have a limited amount of time for them to do it. Um, and so and for it to be free, <laughs> exactly for it to yeah, yeah for it to be free, which like we would have given up everything to give him what he needed, you know, for sure. But, for sure. um, yeah, it's freaking expensive. And like, and also like I am like, he deserves those resources, you know, like he is one of those kids yeah. that need it and he deserves to use it regardless of if we can afford it or not, you know, 100%. Um, and so once we finally got into the system, it was great. And the, evaluations were thorough and they basically evaluate the child and then they put them in the therapy that they think that they need. And so he was, he qualified for this program, um, at this therapy center in Los Angeles that was like 20 hours a week. And it was a group program and it would cover, it was kind of like a preschool class, but it wasn't preschool. It was like a small group and the parent stays with them the whole time. Um, yeah. But it would cover occupational therapy, physical and speech therapy, and also like behavioral therapy. And basically because his diagnosis is so rare, he qualifies for everything. Um, and so I was so excited about that. And then, yeah. so he was supposed to start in April of 2020. And then in March, COVID happened. And so he didn't get any of the therapy that he needed really um, in the beginning and they tried to do it over zoom and like he was i don't know 18 months old and i can't imagine that would translate very well over zoom too no and then finally when he was able to get in person therapy he was doing speech therapy and the therapist had to wear masks you know and it was just like yeah. like i get it um because on the other hand on the other side of that like he is medically vulnerable so he needs to be protected but also like it was such a losing situation for him because how do you learn to talk when, when everyone's mouths are covered, you know? So navigating therapy through the pandemic has been like a whole other, that's a whole other podcast we could do, man. I can only imagine how difficult that is because even with schools, navigating that over Zoom cannot be easy. So trying to do speech therapy over Zoom. And with a baby, you know. Exactly. With with somebody that age, that's got, oh my gosh. But for you, at least from the outside looking in, it seems like you are handling this with so much grace and so much strength. And, you know, anybody that is raising a child with a disability, you never go into parenthood thinking that that's going to be what your journey is. And I know that with you, I can ask you this question from a spiritual standpoint, but what were your conversations with God like when you were going through this process? Man, I felt a lot of, um, I don't know if guilt is the right word, but I remember when I was pregnant with Remy, praying that he would look like me and being mm. like, Lord, like, just let him have like my eyes or just let him look like me. Cause Wade looks exactly like his dad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I really wanted a girl. And so I was like, at least just like, let him look like me. And so I remember when he was diagnosed being like, I didn't pray. Like I didn't pray for a healthy child. Like I prayed for him to look like me. Like that is so, yeah messed up and dumb. <laughs> and so <laughs> I put a lot of just like pressure on myself and mm. not, not responsibility, but 
I think what I was doing is just trying to find an answer, you know, and trying to find like a reason why this was happening. And it's easy to just put the blame on yourself um, because there is no reason. Right. Looking back over my life, though, the things that I have always cared about, um, I've worked in special education. When I was in high school, I was an aide in the special education classes. I spoke at the funeral of one of um, the students that I was an aide for that passed away. And like, there are things that I've done in my life that when I look back, even with my nonprofit, you know, the kids that we've worked with, vulnerable people, it's like, okay, I'm equipped for this. Like as much as I don't want it, honestly, and as much as I wish this wasn't, like if I'm being completely honest, as much as I wish this wasn't my story, um, I'm equipped for it. Yeah. And so I get it. Um, and I'm trying my best to like walk this journey with grace. You know, people always tell me I'm strong, but I'm like, I don't, okay, thank you. But like, if you were in this situation, you would be too, you know, like right. you, I don't have a choice. Like I have to go take him to the hospital. I have to do these things for him to have any quality of life, you know? Yeah. And so if you were in this situation, like you would probably be doing the same thing. So like, I appreciate that sentiment, but at the same time, it's like, especially as a mom, you just do what you have to do, you yeah, know? Of course. And of I think course. that I've developed strength, you know, but I don't feel strong all the time. I just feel like I'm trying, I'm just getting done what getting, doing what needs to be done. Um, and so now I just, I mean, my prayers are obviously different. I'm so grateful for Remington. Like he's, he's brought so much joy. And this is one thing that like, I'm seeing, um, the qualities and the gifts that God has instilled in him. Like he brings so much joy to people's lives. He's never met a stranger. Like you meet him. He looks like a mini Santa Claus because he's got bright blue eyes and he's just laughing all the time. Call him our joy bomb. And he just like brings sunshine to the world. You know, and I'm grateful that I get to experience that, but I'm also grateful that I get to, you know, be somewhat of a vessel to bring him and use him in this world. And I think too, that's why I feel, I don't feel an obligation to share his story, um, but I do feel like he would be okay with it. Right. Um, and I also just feel like there's a lot of hopeless people trying to navigate this world. And I know that I felt super hopeless. Um, And he brings me a lot of hope and a lot of joy. So I know that he can do that for other people too. You know, as moms, we often feel, regardless of what our situation is, there are always moments where we feel like we're failing Mm -hmm. or we're not doing a good job or we're not the best mom. When you've had those moments of doubt about yourself, how do you kind of rescue yourself from those thoughts? What do you remind yourself of or what gets you back on track to be like, no, I am the right mom for these kids and I'm the best mom for them possible? Yeah. Um, I definitely feel a lot of times when, especially right now when he's, Remy is like very vocal, but he can't talk. Um, And so I feel like, I'm failing sometimes at getting to really know him. Mm. And I feel like I not having the opportunity to really know who he is um, and to like know what his wants and needs are. I'm guessing and I'm doing the best that I can to like, you know, 
make sure that his needs are met. But like, do I really know what his favorite food is or do I really know what scares him or do mm. I really know, you know, who he loves or what he likes? Like, no, I think I do. Um, and so I think those are the moments that I feel the most hopeless or the most like a failure. Yeah. And I yeah. just have to remind myself that he loves me so much. Like he loves me so much and he shows me how much he loves me. And if I ask him for a hug or a kiss, like he will give it to me and not stop, you know? So I know that, um, he trusts me and I know that he loves me. And like, I ha I do have a relationship with him and I do know him. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also times when I just lose my shit, honestly <laughs> with him because <laughs> yeah. I'm with both of my kids, but, um, he screams at me all the time and I get mm. so frustrated that I'm just like, what do you want? Like, I don't know. I don't know what yeah. you want, you know? And I just like have to stop and remind myself of like, he doesn't even know what he wants, yeah. you know, like he's a toddler and all toddlers scream and they all think that they know when they don't, you know, like 100%. they're all crazy, you know? Yeah. And, and we're all just guessing like, we're all guessing yeah. and just doing our best. So like, yes, yes, Remy has his differences, but at the same time, like he's just like a typical three-year-old. Typical toddler, you yeah. Know? And yeah. so I yeah. just have to step back and give myself grace too and be like, okay, how did I do this with Wade? Like it's, it doesn't have to be that much different, you know? Um, yeah, so I just, I don't know. I, I also give myself breaks. Like I allow myself to turn on a movie for him. You know, and yeah, I allow him to important. watch yeah. the iPad when we go to a restaurant sometimes just so I can eat a meal, you know, and I give yeah. myself grace in those areas and I, you know, navigate the judgment and I take it and I don't care, you know, but, um, we allow my husband and I both like allow ourselves to do those things with him Good. just because Good. it's for our own sanity too, you know, and yeah. we have to be, and it's what works right for you, yeah. you know, like, and that's the other thing that parents have to realize. Cause yes, there's going to be always judgment no matter what you do. Right. Yeah. But you have to know that it's your family unit. It's your dynamic and it's what works for you yeah. and don't let anybody <laughs> tell you any differently. Yeah. How is the dynamic with Wade and Remy? It's interesting. Um, Wade wasn't thrilled to be getting a, a, a sibling in the mm. first place. <laughs> um, I think that it's difficult. He has a lot of love for him and he shows a lot of love to him. He has expressed that he is sad that he can't really play with him. You know, or like when we go places, um, he's not like we went to the fair the other day and like Re Wade was riding the rides by himself because like Remy is too, is too scared and things like that, that yeah. he, we were all kind of expecting him to do with his sibling at this point. Um, and he's not able to. And so I think Wade gets, you know, misses out a little bit, um, I don't think he notices it too much until he sees other kids with their siblings. And now he has a lot of friends who have siblings the same age as him. And so he kind of sees what he's missing. Um, and he gets frustrated with Remy because Remy still doesn't like, you know, wait, he doesn't like play with you. He kind of still is doing parallel play. And mm -hmm. so he'll, 
he'll just like come up and smash Wade's Legos or, you know, just like not, he's not fully aware of like boundaries or anything. And so that's frustrating. Um, but on the other hand, Wade is super inclusive. Um, there's a bunch of kids in our neighborhood and they all love Remy and Wade, you know, was very open to letting Remy play with them as much as he can. Um, he's super protective of him. And he also really understands the diagnosis as much as a kid can. And he he explains it to people and he'll say, you know, Remy has, he has like a disease in his brain and he's okay, but we have to be gentle with his head and, you know, different things like that, that he'll explain to people. And so, um, I think like when they're older, I think Wade's just going to be so much of a better person because of his relationship with Remy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, obviously he doesn't know that now, but just me as his parent, I can see the ways that, um, you know, having a sibling like Remy is, has changed him and yeah, made him grow up a little bit too, um, be a little bit more responsible and those aren't bad things. And all. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we're navigating that too. I was just, my husband and I were just talking about this. Like, I think we're at the point where, you know, we might like down the road, Wade will be able to invite a friend on a, on a vacation or something, you know, mm, so we can yeah, have someone to yeah. do things with, or like when we do go to the fair, he can bring a friend or when we go do, do sure. things like he can have someone, you know, to do some of those things with, because Remy's not always going to be that person. And that's okay. Absolutely. And I love that you see the future for Wade in terms of growth and just how he'll interact with people and how he'll treat people. You know, yeah. I think it is a beautiful lesson to start and, and learn at home. Mm-hmm. But looking over your entire motherhood journey with both of your sons and looking at Savannah pre-kids, how do you feel you've changed and grown? Oh, man. I think looking back at my life, I, I, I I don't, I'm not, I wasn't like a super selfish person, (laughs) but, uh, um, I've always like, you know, been super service oriented, but I Mm. never really, uh, knew what it meant to serve your family you know, and that wasn't something that I, not that I didn't have the opportunity to do, but didn't really want to take that opportunity to learn. Um, and so I've really learned like what it means to serve your family and for that to be your, um, like that's kind of turned into my calling. You know, I've always been outwardly focused in terms of that sense. Um, and now this is like my, I don't want to sound super churchy, but and say like, this is my mission field or something, but it is my ministry, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. um, this is your purpose right now because before you were doing, you know, your art, your singer, songwriter, all of that, but now your, your, your path has shifted a little, a little bit. So this is your purpose in this moment. Yeah. And also allowing myself to have seasons, you know, and knowing that yeah. like, just because I thought I would be somewhere, my life would look like, look a certain way um, yeah. at at this point in my life, 
you know, just because it doesn't look like that now, or there's dreams that I haven't accomplished, it doesn't mean that I can't still accomplish them, you know? Amen. And I'm yeah. also learning to like, not listen to the world's standards of what it means to be a woman or, you know, a singer that just because I'm not a certain at a certain place now doesn't mean that just because I'm in my thirties, it doesn't mean that I can't do it at some point, you know? Yeah, and yeah. that's something that I'm really starting to believe, um, you know, that like this right now is where my focus is and where it has to be. But it doesn't mean that my life is always going to be this way. It doesn't mean that Remy's always going to be this dependent on me. Um, and it doesn't mean that I have to give up my dreams and aspirations for my life outside of my family. Well, I think that you are doing an incredible job and I love the perspective that you have about where you are in your journey. And I just want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing because it is really beautiful to witness. I would also love for you to share, are there any organizations or um, places that are doing research that maybe we could support or I could share with my listeners as well? Yeah, there's actually not a lot of, um, honestly, anything with my son's specific disease, but mm -hmm. there is the Rare Disease Network, an organization, and they do a lot of awareness um, for kids that have rare diseases. And it's a good place for people, for parents like me who don't really know where to turn when they're when their kid mm -hmm. is diagnosed, you know, there's some, there's somewhat of an online community there on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, so I think that's a good place to turn. I, I sometimes get, um, like question my, like question, um, whether or not, like how much to share about Remy's story. And then mm -hmm. I remember when he was diagnosed, like being so desperate for someone else who was going through story. what I was going through, you know? Yeah. And I remember like searching yeah. hashtags on Instagram and being like, well, what about this? What if I put this in, you know? And I found that in the Rare Disease Network. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to, you know, obviously with dignity share his story, but, um, just try to be someone that like can share some information so people know where to turn. And I have had people, you know, reach out because of that too, which has been nice. But, um, yeah. Yeah. if I find anything else, I'll let you know. <laughs> yes, please. No, please For my own do. Sake I definitely too. want to support you. Yes, absolutely. Definitely want to support you. Um, and can you let everybody know where they can follow you just to keep up with you and your family's story? Yes. So you can follow me at sing Savannah on Instagram. Awesome. And she's a beautiful voice. And I think your, is your lullaby album on Spotify or iTunes? Both. Yep. Awesome. Please go check it out. I have a copy. I love it. It's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Um, Savannah, thank you so much for sitting down with me and sharing your story. You are an inspiration. And I know so many people will be moved hearing from you. Thank and to you. the listeners, make sure you follow Savannah and subscribe. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you, Bye. Melinda.